Today is the third day of our spring seven-day session, the 4th of September 2023. And we're going to continue reading from and commenting on Throw Yourself into the House of the Buddha, the Life and Zen Teachings of Tangan Harada Roshi, translated by Belinda Ataway Yamakawa and edited by Kogan Tsarnik. And we'll, we'll take up around about where we left off. Um, uh, Tangan has been des- describing the, the kind of rigorous, vigorous training that he underwent under Dayan Sogaku Roshi. Uh, and he, he says, because of this, this structure and this, the, the force of the, of the training, he says, it was easy to be zealous. At night, after the last round of Zazen, I would go to the graveyard or to the forest or mountain and do mu. In wintertime, if I would grow sleepy during yaza, I would break a hole in the ice of the pond and jump in, then go back to continuing my sitting. I made efforts in a way that I would not want anyone to try to imitate. Uh, everybody gasping, hearing, hearing about diving into, the, dipping into the, the cold water. This has actually been shown to be very beneficial in many different ways, this um, cold water. But he says, and we should really take, take note of this, he said, I made efforts in a way that I would not want anyone to try to imitate. This sort of, these sort of efforts, this sort of um, uh, total commitment to the practice, has to come from the inside. And if we if we just try and try and imitate the form, then it can be actually very unhealthy. When I was um, in training and. In Rochester, I had a Dharma brother who um, had a, a little opening to to move and um, breaking the rules. Told me about what had happened, how he with a session where he had um, been passed on move by Roshi Kaplow, and he recounted that um, he had decided at the beginning to not sleep until he had he had resolved his question, and um, I foolishly copied him uh, and did a session where um, I didn't really, I, except for involuntarily, <laughs> I didn't sleep. And it didn't do anything really beneficial except make me exhausted. I was imitating rather than having this come out of a place of, of need at that time. That is not to say that it was easy for me. I struggled mightily, but I stuck with the practice, the one single way of practice. I made no excuses for myself. I did not allow myself to I did not allow my practice to fade from feelings of discouragement. This is we, we might think that if we're feeling discouraged, then that's that's it, that's the the practice is, is kaput. But we can have these powerful feelings of discouragement and and keep going. 
not not um, act on on what they're telling us that we're that we're hopeless that we're 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 not cut out for this and so forth. There were rough rough times, even times when I thought I was going not going to live through it. There were times when I could no longer breathe, times when all went dark before my eyes, times when I thought I was going to pass out. It, I wore myself out until I was exhausted, was exhausted. I thought I would die from unyielding effort. It was that rough, like that trying, but I refused to look away. I did not involve myself with anything else, only followed my teacher's instructions. I have to mention as a caution that giving my all to this practice, I went overboard and ruined my health. That was not good. So Dayun Roshi told me to leave Hoshinji until I would recovered. While I was ill, I was blessed to meet and develop an acquaintance with Tenshu Nakano, an older monk and student of Dayun Roshi, who took me under his wing and cared for me at his temple. This monk skillfully led me to become a monk myself. So when I got better, I returned to Hoshinji and was ordained as a monk by Dayun Roshi on November 8th, 1949. So about two years after he first met with him and started training under him. My guess is he probably also learned how to work more skillfully with himself under the care of this monk, this, this seasoned practitioner. It's, it's, um, there are stories of different um, practitioners in, in ancient times who got sick from practicing in, in an un, unhelpful or unskillful manner. Um, the, the one probably most near to us, of course, is Hakuan, Master Hakuan, who, who contracted what was known as Zen sickness and had to um, pause his practice and, and work with um, this healer who, who taught him these powerful practices for um, getting the energy down in the hara and out of the, the head and the, um, the shoulders the neck. Um, it's not clear whether this was an actual person or whether it was a, um, a fictional character that Ma Master Hakuin invented in order to dramatize his, his teaching on, on this kind of Zen uh, uh, cure. It involved, one of the things at least it involved was um, visualizing a lump of sweet butter on the top of one's head and then imagining this this butter melting and and passing it down through and across the body um, these these zen sicknesses often seem to involve um, an imbalance of energies that have to be rebalanced in some way so there there is this danger in in the, these extreme um, types of, of practice. But at some point, if one does go too far in one direction or another, then there has to be a correction, there has to be a course correction, a rebalancing.
And it sounds like this is what um, Tangan had to do, had to leave the practice for a time and, and um, restore his health and then, then take it up again. Next chapter is, is headed Realization. I continued to give myself to the practice more and more. Dayan Roshi was very strict with me. It was taking me a long time. He continued pushing, refusing to recognize my experience, any experience that was not thoroughgoing. No doubt Dayan Roshi did this because he could see that what um, Tangan was, was capable of that he could take the pressure and and would stick with the with the practice not settling for any kind of half-baked experience I made my final resolution to break through this time I would break through during the next session I'll die I was really serious about it I knew it came down to this last session Practicing with all my might during that session, the days were passing in life-or-death practice. It must have been the seventh day of session. I can never forget that morning as I continued to sit, unaware that the Doksan bell had been sounded. I was sitting absorbed in the samadhi of one doing, unaware of my surroundings. The tanto at that time was very sharp. Tanto is one of the kind of officers of the, the monastery. He... He's um, a senior monk in charge of the novice training program. So the Tanto saw him sitting there in the Zendo and approached him. Tangan relates, he must have moved through the Zendo toward me very quietly. The Zendo was practically empty, I later realized, as everyone had run to Doksan. The Tanto tapped my shoulder very gently, just a light touch but a touch with a vast resonance. My mind opened. Even a gentle touch of encouragement can be received, can resonate unutterably as it did for me that morning. And um, I'm sure people, many people who have read Zen stories will, will recognize that this, this, what is the tipping point or the catalyst can be anything from from a, a light touch uh, to uh, peach blossoms, or in one case, the bubbles in a monk's urine who is peeing in the snow. For the Buddha, it was the it was the morning star Venus shining in the in the in the dawn sky. It's not so much the cause, but the, 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 the trigger of the opening. I flew to Doksan boldly and surely, just naturally, differently from any other time before. Up until then, if I went to Doksan and tried to, to say anything, Roshi would immediately ring his bell. But this time, I just glided in, and Dayan Roshi breathed in deeply, swallowing me up. He stared into my eyes fiercely. For the first time, a half-smile appeared on his face. That time, I didn't have to hear a bell ringing. 
Instead, my teacher said, let's check you. My responses were spontaneous, uncontrived. That was when he verified my understanding. At last, moderate understanding, he said, at last. I was so fortunate to be able to practice under a teacher so so strict and so exacting, a teacher who had himself proudly done the practice of Shakyamuni Buddha and profoundly experienced the teaching of the Buddha. That night, I did not go to evening Doksan. I was in the temple office as I had a duty there. I was so filled with pure happiness that I couldn't sleep, but I might have been dozing off and on in a state of wakeful sleep. I didn't know if I was dreaming or not when my own mother, whom I had never seen, came to me. From behind, she wrapped her arms around me and took my hands in hers. Together we rose into the sky. Flying through the sky, I could feel the cold air on my cheeks. My mother was like an angel. As we flew, she communicated this to me, though not in words, but through her life. I'm very glad. I'm so glad. If I had not been ripened and mature in my practice at the end of that session, so that the Roshi would verify my understanding and confirm that I had broken through to his satisfaction, I would not have been alive that night. I had made the final determination. I believe that to my mother, the most important thing was not that I had had Satori, but that I had not lost my life. I believe she was expressing her deep wish that I would be protected. I'm very glad, I'm so glad, a mother's mind is universal. After that, Sashin, my world was transformed. All stingy grasping fell away. All distinctions melted away. I continued to practice as Dayan Roshi instructed me, but now even if I wanted to look away, I could no longer do so. I just continued my practice. I knew true peace. I knew that all is well. There is no inside, no outside. All is one, one all-encompassing one. This truth that I was able to accept and receive holds true, remains steady any time, anywhere, wherever I work on walk on this wide, wide planet. This truth is universal. Whenever you, wherever you find yourself, there is only this one truth. This is, this is the hallmark of deep awakening, that it's not dependent on conditions, but is with one, wherever one goes, wherever one uh, walks. This truth is universal. Wherever you find yourself, there is only this one truth. We can, we can of course, have tip-of-the-tongue tastes of those glimpses of it, and they can be life-changing as well, but then they become more like a memory rather than a state that one lives out of. And this is why um, Dayan Roshi was so strict in, in um, having Tangan keep delving, keep uh, questioning, even though he had had these, these other experiences.
Now I've told you the story of my experience in Zen practice, but there is a danger here. The danger is that you might get the discouraging idea that my story and experience were too dramatic and special and that you yourself could never hope to experience anything like it. This is not true. I just did the one and only thing I was told to do. I did it to the best of my ability. You cannot do what you cannot do, but you can do this one thing to your utmost. Regardless of what I did in my practice, the key remains the same for everyone, complete sincerity. You must give your all, holding on to nothing. You must become your practice. So from my own experience, I can say to you, if you set out to do it, it will be done. If you don't, it won't be done. When something isn't done, it is because you haven't, didn't resolve to do it. This, this reply, uh, applies to whatever our practice is, whether we're doing the breath or, or shikantaza or a koan. They all demand nothing less than everything from us. Everything that we can give in this moment and then in the next and the next. Even though the, the nature of the practice can be quite different. I mean, shikantaza is, is different from koan work and koan work is different from breath work. But this, this, whatever we're doing, we must endeavor to do our best. Somebody was asking me about how to apply the this story to to shikantaza, um, because it, it rather than narrowing down the focus to this. Um, laser-like attention in shikantaza, one opens up, one lets everything in, so to speak. Um, and there can be great intensity to this. Um, I was telling that person about something that um, Yasutani Roshi said about um, shikantaza and managed to track it down. He's, he's, this is being said in the context of, in context of every time we do the zazen, it being a matter of life and death, the life and death of us, of our spirit, you could say. Yasutani Roshi used to describe shikantaza, the practice of just sitting, by saying it's like walking in a crowded marketplace, balancing a jug of water on your head, trying not to spill a drop. You need to be aware of everything. If your mind just focuses on one thing, you miss something else. If you focus on the kid on the pogo stick in front of you, you don't notice the donkey with its huge baskets of dried peppers walking on the other side, 
and it will bump you and cause you to spill your water. You have to be aware of everything, all the merchants, the shoppers, the children, the animals. If you are too loose and you're not paying attention, you'll spill the water. If you're too tight and somebody suddenly brushes past you, you'll spill it too. You need the right tension to help you concentrate. To this graphic description of Shikantaza, Yoshitani Roshi would add, and there's a soldier walking behind you with a drawn sword. If you spill a single drop, he'll cut off your head. <laughs> now it gets dramatic. <laughs> That's how much energy you should be putting into your zazen. The more energy you put in, the more energy it gives back to you. And, and this is the key, how to put that energy in um, without straining, without tensing, without um, grasping at anything, but rather this um, full-bodied panoramic awareness. Noticing whatever is in one's the feel of one's senses, six senses, five ordinary senses, and the and the, um, just discriminating intellect, all of them. In one of the one of the koans in the Shoyoroku teacher talks about um, or refers to. Um, a statement by a master hear with your eyes see with your ears it's that kind of um, absorbed practice of the senses that is required in Shikantaza our, our paying attention our, our being present is really a matter of, of life and death because to ignore what is going on is to be, in a sense, dead, dead to the world. <coughs> so just again, um, Tanga's words here. What I, what, regardless of what I did in my practice, the key remains the same for everyone. Complete sincerity. You must give your all. Holding on to nothing, you must become the practice. So from my own experience, I say to you, if you set out to do it, it will be done. If you don't, it won't be done. When something isn't done, it is because you didn't resolve to do it. So this, this resolve to keep going, to do our best, to give it our, our 100% in each moment. The next um, short chapter is, is headed up Bukokuji. This is the name of um, the... Uh, Tangan's place just down the road from Hushinji in, in Obama. He says, I became the ob abbot here at Bukokuji 
on March the 15th, 1955. I was 30 years old, and lo and behold, I am now already over 80. That is just fine. There is pain in aging, though I am not really suffering it myself because I live life openly committed to receiving each thing as it occurs. All of us who are experiencing the pain of aging, we can take to heart what Tangan Roshi is saying here. Because I live life openly committed to receiving each thing as it occurs. It's not really, really, this, this, the pain and suffering is there, but it's not um, sticky. doesn't cause suffering, this pain, this difference we make between pain and suffering. Pain is the raw physical experience. Suffering is what we add on top of that, the resistance to the pain, the, the rejection of it, the tension that comes with that, which uh, and, uh, in fact exacerbates it, multiplies it. There's the pain we can't avoid, but the suffering we can. It's My attitude toward illness has always been, just leave it be, doing zazen will take care of it, all is well. But even so, aging is a fact, as is illness. My only goal through this life is to be of help, to offer whatever I can to all beings. I cannot realize my aspiration to the fullest, but it was always my desire to do whatever I can. Whenever my affinity with this life ends, that's just fine. All beings are born out of causes and conditions. All that arises is in perfect interdependence, working together in perfect harmony. All things exist in mutual dedication, mutual support. All beings are alive in the shelter of all beings. That's a beautiful statement. All beings are alive in the shelter of all beings. Each of us lives in the shelter of all beings. Each of us is utterly dependent on those all beings for this existence we have now. We enter our, as, as Thich Nhat Hanh puts it. Together with you all, I am now here, believing, knowing ever more deeply that all beings are Buddha, original Buddha nature. Together with you, as one, we repay our debt of kindness and express our gratitude for all we receive from the universe. Together we re realize our inherent nature. It doesn't mention it in this book, but in the last few years of, of Tangan Roshi's life, he was suffering from Alzheimer's disease and was being cared for by his, his students there in, in, in Bukokaji. At one point there was a, there was a, a, a little fundraising campaign uh, to which many people from Rochester donated to build a, a room for, for Roshi-sama that didn't involve 
um, climbing stairs, which had become very difficult for him. It's not it's not unheard of for for spiritual teachers to um, suffer debilitating illness at the end of their lives, just as it isn't uncommon for us ordinary people. Um, examples are uh, Ajahn Chan, the great Thai master, um, and, and Thich Nhat Hanh, probably the most well-known Buddhist teacher in the West, um, both of whom had major strokes and were looked after for many years after the stroke, uh, by again by students. You could say that, that Tangan and Ajahn Chah and Thich Nhat Hanh were offering a last gift to their students, and that gift was the, the gift of, of getting the chance to look after their master care for him in his last years, in his time of, of being dependent. Now we're going to um, move from the first section of the book, which is about his life, into um, his, his teaching. These are, are put together from Taisho's he gave um, and um, recorded tapes of the, not only the Taisho but the, the interpretation, live interpretation by Belinda Yamakawa um, and these were later transcribed and, and um, edited. This first chapter, chapter we're looking at is called Inherent Buddha Nature. After long years of practice, Shakyamuni Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree. He sat for a long, t long time, unmoving, immersed in his intense investigation. Then one morning he looked up and saw the morning star. In this instant, he was able to wake up and perfectly see right into true self, original mind, Buddha nature. He exclaimed, Wonder of wonders! Wonderful! All beings without exception are endowed with the wisdom and virtue of the Tathagata. Um, Tathagata um, means um, the, the thus come one, and it's the way that the, the Buddha referred to himself. Thus come one. And this, um, this exclamation that Tangan is, is repeating here uh, comes from the, the Avatamska Sutra, the flower garland. So the first word after his awakening was wonder. With what wonder and amazement he must have seen and exclaimed, those words must have sprung forth mixed with tears, the tears of joy, the tears of life. 
how deeply he was moved, body and mind reborn at the core, life burning brightly. Here was a human being who for a long time had carried forth his vow to save and to bring great true peace of mind to all beings. This vow was his life. Even so, he could not help but exclaim and marvel, wonder of wonders. Even for one of such karmic ripeness and compassionate character as the Buddha, the truth that he saw upon enlightenment was a wonder. This wonder is never exhausted. This wonder is right here, right now. All beings are Buddha, endowed with the Buddha wisdom, the Buddha virtue. These words do not imply that someday in the future we will be endowed with the Buddha wisdom. Now, as you are, as it is, all beings are Buddha. All things are one Buddha mind alone. When we, we see deeply into this, as Tangan did or as the Buddha did, then fear drops away. This is the hallmark of, of um, Satori, Deep Awakening, that, that there is no longer an other to protect oneself against. It's all swallowed up in this one mind. He continues, Buddha mind changes constantly, taking form in accordance with causes and conditions, and each form is replete with timeless, true mind. We use the word mind, but in this context I am speaking about your true, genuine self, your life. Your mind, your life, is the whole universe. It fills the Dharma realm, and it exists right here and now. All phenomena are sacred forms of this true life. Life arises and takes form in accordance with karmic causes and conditions. A sound is made. It reverberates. It's so simple. You can hear. You can see. It's very straightforward, very honest. In the winter, it is a cold wind and a warm cup of tea. It appears as each and everything. However it appears, and whenever it appears, this is Buddha mind. All phenomena, everything, is perfectly honest. An interesting use of the word honest. Everything is, is wide open. Everything is there for us to see and hear and taste and touch it. It's not, it's not um, a secret. The Buddha in his, in his Parinirvana, he said, I have not taught with a closed fist.
All phenomena, everything is per perfectly honest. All is timeless and empty, with no going and no coming. So you have no need for worries. The way your true mind, Buddha heart, is absolutely perfect, flawless. It has no birth and no death. It cannot be conceived through the discriminating intellect. You could spend eons at it, <coughs> but never in a million years <coughs> would that rationalizing thinking process come close to touching, to comprehending your true nature. There is only to wake up to it, just as the Buddha did. We may not have a waking experience to the depth of Tangans or the Buddhas, but it is no different in kind to their awakenings, in substance. We're waking up to what is right in front of us, runs right through us. We breathe it in, we breathe it out, we swallow it down, we excrete it, all, oh, this one Buddha mind. There is only to wake up to it, just as the Buddha did. Wake up and you can say for yourself, the sun is my eye, the wind my breath, all of space my heart, the mountain and ocean my body. The sun shining brightly, vividly, is the eye of my life, the vastness of the sky is my heart. Who is, a ma is master of this boundless heart? No one else but you. This is your reality. Heaven and earth, same root. All the myriad things, one body. Heaven and earth, same root. All the myriad things, one body. This is a, a famous saying of um, uh, Chan Master um, Sung Zhao. His dates are th 384 to 417. Heaven and earth, same root, all the myriad things, one body. Right now, us sitting here in the zendo, one body, all of the same root. No one separate, no one outside. This truth is the source of your freedom, your liberty, and the freedom of each and every one of us. Wonderful. Wonder of wonders. No matter how deeply we worship, no matter how reverently we sing its praises, we could never begin to pray, pay homage to this wonder. All things are right here in the midst of truth, this one truth, and all things are being saved. There are no restraints on your freedom. It can feel very other than this. We can feel very stuck and feel very pinned down by um, the aches and pains of our body or the, the strength of our, our chattering mind. But in the midst of these things, there's still nothing really holding us down. except our thoughts.
the birth of one Buddha is the birth of all Buddhas. We are indelibly, perpetually interconnected. No one is cut off, isolated, apart from the whole. We are not this as opposed to that. There is no distance. This is the wonder that was revealed to Shakyamuni Buddha. Awakening is wonderment, total inside-outside transformation, complete peace. Shakyamuni Buddha was able at last to verify this truth for himself. He reached his goal and fulfilled his aspiration. At long, long last he understood all beings are Buddha. But he had something to say in addition to this, and how thankful we can be for the Buddha's addition. He said, but because the minds of beings have become inverted through delusive thinking, they fail to perceive their own inherent Buddha nature. This is the, the other side of the story to this, this our inherent wakefulness, our Buddha nature. The, the, the problem we have is that we don't fully perceive our Buddha nature. Our minds are, are turned upside down by delusive thinking. And so we, we suffer. We suffer in spiritual darkness because we don't see it. We don't know it, this Buddha nature. It's why we're here in the Zendo. Every single one of us is here because of, the, of suffering in darkness, not clear on who and what we are. We all have the extraordinary good karma of having encountered the Dharma and being in a position to practice it. We have this, this um, precious human life of leisure and opportunity, as the Tibetans say. We don't know for how long we'll have this, this body and this life which enable us to practice, which is why it's so urgent, why Tangan should throw himself into it with such zeal. We never, none of us know what, our, what is um, in store for us in our karma. But, but right now we're all here together practicing. So let us, for, for ourselves and for each other, practice sincerely, practice wholeheartedly, doing our best. We'll stop here and recite the four vows.